Oh, hello. Well, this has been an eventful week. Uh, I am just getting back into it here with recording a few thoughts. And uh, the subject of my recording today is going to be Logic Matters. Uh, We've all had the Black Lives Matter. We've had blue lives matter, white lives matter, every color you can imagine. Uh, But there's something more important than identity politics, and that is logic. Logic matters. Um, I submit to you that um, logic is not just uh, an annoying uh, thing that nerds came up with uh, in order to Uh, bicker with you and uh, make you frustrated and to tear down your arguments as it suits them. Um, Logic is the foundation of our world. And you are not entitled to think anything that you want. Um, they're, they're, not all thoughts are created equal. Not all opinions are created equal. Uh, if you uh, have an opinion and your opinion uh, does not adhere to any kind of logical structure or has all kinds of problems of inconsistency, um, then I don't care what your opinion is. There, there is a, a big world of possible opinions, possible statements that can be made, and some of those opinions put together um, creates an inconsistent system. And when we test it using logic, it falls apart. Um, I don't care about these opinions. I don't care about these particular perspectives. Um, you can have this perspective. I can't stop you. Um, but I don't care about what you have to say at that point because it means that you are not a serious thinker and you are not trying to come to real useful conclusions about the world. And you're not, you are, you are showing a lack of seriousness in your thinking. And I don't, care to interact with someone who doesn't have any seriousness in their thinking. Um, I, I am not saying this because I am superior. I have, uh, I have irrational beliefs as well. And uh, I try to use thinking and rationality and logic to uh, iron out those places where my, my thinking is uh, ir- irrational or inconsistent. Um, and I would like someone to engage me in um, argumentation when my beliefs are inconsistent and wrong. Um, case in point, uh, if you believe that violence is justifiable for political reasons in case A, but you do not believe that it is justifiable in case B, uh, the burden is on you to describe why you make that differentiation. Um, You can't simply pick 
a, a particular cause that you happen to like um, because of your emotional investment in that issue or because of your feelings, um, because feelings change. Um, and, and you may feel one way uh, about Black Lives Matter, or you may feel a certain way about uh, Stop the Steal, whatever these movements are. Um, you may have personal feelings about that, um, but someone else will have completely different feelings about it. Uh, someone may have very intense feelings about Black Lives Matter and think, yeah, it's, it's totally justifiable to go and kill police officers because of Black Lives Matter. And then you may ask someone right next to them, how do you feel about Black Lives Matter? And they may say, well, I only feel 10% as angry as that person. So it's only 10% as justifiable to go and kill police officers for Black Lives Matter. Um, obviously, there's a problem with this mode of, of reasoning. Um, if you're picking and choosing uh, which positions you think are are morally or ethically justified uh, based entirely on your feelings, we, we, we have a big problem here because uh, your feelings are not, uh, they are not consistent for one thing. Uh, you will feel differently today than you will in 10 years about many of these issues um, or in 20 years or even five years. Uh, things could change very, very dramatically. Um, my feelings are different from your feelings based on my experiences. That's another problem. There's no um, commonality for us. There's no common ground for us to have these discussions. If, uh, if our basis for our justifications of, of uh, violent behavior is driven entirely by our own personal emotional experiences. Uh, that makes, uh, that makes it a big, a big problem to, uh, to communicate, um, these ideas, uh, because they don't translate to another person. Um, and so we can't have a conversation about it. We can't, uh, engage in discourse about it. We can't have it, uh, enter the public domain and have, um, other people process, uh, that view and come to their own conclusions because everyone will come up to a different conclusion. Uh, this is why we have logic and logic matters. So if you tell me that you don't think that violence is justifiable for a political reason, then you don't get to pick and choose what causes override that. Uh, if you do, if you choose to select your emotional feelings and rage and anguish over logic, over principles, and over rationality, then you are no longer a serious thinker. And I do not care what you have to say. Um, I, I'm not going to stop you from believing what you believe. Um, I would like to stop you from believing what you believe. 
but I, I don't have to take you seriously. And I don't have to care about what you have to say. Well, that sounds a little bit overly serious, so I think this is probably be a good place to uh, take a break. Okay, here we go. Uh, ah, I've been playing around with my new computer here, and uh, it's very easy to lose track of time and end up not really doing any of your work for the day. It's kind of dangerous. Uh, I wanted to talk about um, fear um, in the context, especially of everything that's gone on 2020, 21, and uh, seemingly has no end in sight. Um, fear is fear is a precognition instinct. Uh, it is not on par with um, other emotions. It is not even on par, especially not on par with cognition. Um, the part of the brain that processes fear is the reptile brain, the fish brain. It's, it's this very old uh, mechanism that um, tells an organism there's some kind of danger, there's some kind of threat. If I'm a, if I'm a fish or an amphibian and I have a very primitive brain, I don't have, um, I don't have a prefrontal cortex, or I have very little of in the way of cognition ability. Um, but I have, uh, have my fear instinct. And if I have a stimulus that provokes my fear response, uh, I am going to become extra vigilant. Um, I am going to look for uh, threats and enemies around me. And I am uh, going to become aggressive and, and get ready to fight. Um, because in the animal kingdom, in, in a wild environment that, uh, that evolved all of these instincts, uh, that's how you survive. Um, you don't survive by carefully thinking about what to do. Um, you have uh, some, some kind of stimulus that provokes your fear response, and boom, you just start acting, you run away, you become vigilant, you become aggressive, that's how you survive. So, unfortunately, you know, in the modern world, um, you know, we are humans, and we have a prefrontal cortex. We have, um, we live in a rational world. We live in a world of technology, of of science. Um, we have um, we have a very complex, sophisticated economy. Uh, we don't really need fear so much anymore. Um, the very few cases where we might would be if someone jumps you in an alley or, uh, somebody, uh, unexpectedly becomes enraged with you and, um, suddenly you're in a fist fight in a bar or something and you have to be on the alert and jump in into an instinct to defend yourself and get out of the way. Um, we don't have that. We don't have a need for that anymore. 
Um, but we still have the fear response. And of course, um, the people in our society now that manipulate us, that control us, um, are able to use that fear response to push our buttons and to get us to do things that they want us to do. Um, often that can just be to get us to um, revert out of a rational mode of thinking and into a fear-driven emotional way of thinking. Uh, you know, a good example of this is advertising. Advertising um, will often uh, try to make us scared in order to get us to buy something. Um, and it's important for us to remember that that when we get scared, our rational mind kind of shuts down. And instead of thinking things through carefully, instead of relying on principles or ideas, uh, we rely on aggression and defensiveness. Now, this bring me, brings us off, of course, to what is everyone afraid of now? Well, uh, since at least March, um, we've been under an assault of fear. Fear of a virus, fear of an economic collapse, fear of a governmental collapse, um, but mostly the virus. It's mostly this stupid virus that not uh, necessarily directed at a, a visible target. Um, in particular, the media-generated types of fear, like fear of terrorism, fear about the virus, fear about uh, there being hidden Nazis or communists or um, spooky CIA operatives running a PSYOP, um, these are sort of generalized fears in the sense that uh, there's not like uh, one big hulking scary man standing in front of you and your fear is directed at him. Uh, these are uh, herd-driven fears of, of something rather amorphous and uh, and not particularly pr present. Um, and the problem with that is that, of course, there is no uh, off switch for such a thing. Um, there's, uh, there's no end to the threat. Um, there's always a possibility that there is more virus or there will be another virus. There's always a possibility that there are terrorists uh, lurking around the corner, or that there will be another terrorist attack. Um, that will never go away as long as uh, we live in the modern world. And so fear of this variety 
is a central, really, to modern life. Um, if you want to read a book about something like this, um, I recommend White Noise by Don DeLillo. Uh, it is about a terrorist attack, and it's, it's very prescient. It was written, I believe, in the 80s, uh, the early 80s. Um, and it, it sort of uh, pre it, it sort of predicts the um, terrorism uh, madness of the early 2000s um, and uh, and the spirit of, of 2001 2002 um, in which uh, it, it really did feel like there were terrorists around every corner and that they were lurking everywhere and that they were, plotting to destroy America, um, you know, which, which is both true and not true. Um, you know, we, now in 2021, um, we don't even think about terrorism, really. It's sort of become passe. Um, it's almost a joke. Uh, and, and in, you know, it, it actually did become a joke after, after a few years, um, after a few years of of the 9-11, uh, uh, oh my God, there's terrorists everywhere. Uh, maybe America is going to be um, destroyed. Uh, the president will be killed. Um, the Pentagon is under assault. Oh my God, this is a new and, and never before seen threat. We're entering a new era, a new era of human civilization where terrorism will be this prevailing force that must be uh, wrestled with in order for civilization to survive. Um, and of course, uh, none of that happened. Um, uh, arguably, yes, uh, it did change society, and, and terrorism is a facet of modern society. Um, it is a threat that we have to deal with because of the uh, accessibility of improvised um, explosives and um, and the rise of these sort of militia movements. Uh, but I, I would think now that we have some distance from that, um, you know, we can kind of laugh at the paranoia around terrorism, uh, especially by 2006, I believe, is when Team America World Police came out, a wonderful movie, um, which could completely makes fun of terrorism as a as a credible threat to the world. Um, it, it doesn't take it seriously at all. Uh, but such a movie could not have been made in 2001, 2002. Um, it absolutely would not have been possible to release such a movie, uh, not, not only because the studios would be uh, afraid of releasing such a thing, um, but uh, the public would not accept it. It would have been seen as uh, making fun or mocking a very real threat and, um, and seen as in poor taste. Uh, you know, and there probably were people who, who found it offensive at the time, I, I'm sure. Um, but my, my point is only to contrast it as a source of fear that this, this generalized fear which um, manifests in, in different ways, sometimes as a, a threat of terrorism. Now it has manifested as a fear of disease, a fear of, of epidemics, viruses. Of course, 
human beings have lived with viruses for our entire existence. It's not like viruses are a new thing or that viruses are getting any worse. If anything, it seems like they have gotten a lot better in in uh, the last hundred years or so. Um, certainly the ones that we had a hundred years ago were much worse. In fact, my father actually had polio um, growing up. And he uh, he was in an iron lung, and he barely survived as a child, um, that disease. Um, and so, you know, to compare something like COVID to polio, uh, I mean, there's there's almost no comparison. It's, it's a joke. Um, COVID is, is, a, is a, a very, very bad version of the flu, um, and, um, you know, more than likely... Uh, it will, as the, the CDC and the World Health Organization are predicting, it will just become an endemic and <clears throat> will never fully eradicate it. Um, it will just be a, a milder version of the COVID of early 2020. Um, I'm getting a little bit off the rails. My point is that fear, fear is present all around us. We're living in a in a bubble of fear that um, I don't think it has ever been this bad in my lifetime. Um, I think the the post 9/11 uh, fear bubble was also pretty bad, um, but I think this one is is far worse as far as um, impacting people's uh, sanity. And so <clears throat> just keep that in mind because when you see these political movements and these nutty people making some very insane claims about America or about the future of the world that you know we're just going to be dominated by communists over the next 10 years um there Try to remain rational. There's always a rational threat from other state actors or non-state actors. Those are credible threats, but they have they have known parameters. They are not existential threats. Um, they are not um, unknowable threats. And the real, the real danger is that people are taking their generalized fear driven by COVID and the, the herd reaction of fear, 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 fear that everyone is being drowned in right now. And people are projecting their own fears onto um, that fear that they have. They have all this fear kind of bottled up inside of them. And it has to go somewhere. So they are projecting it out onto um, other things. And again, this is not to dismiss any of those things as a credible threat, because there are credible threats. Um, I, for one, am very paranoid about the dangers of proximity tracing and uh, enhanced surveillance tech technology that is being justified by COVID, um, 
that I find very dangerous and very terrifying. But it also aligns very closely with my pre-existing fear of being tracked and being monitored and surveilled. So you may have a pre-existing fear of being suppressed for your religious beliefs or suppressed because of your uh, desire to own guns. And so you may project your fear. Again, we're in the fear bubble. You may take your fear bubble fear and project it onto the thing that you are already afraid about, already nervous about. So you may convince yourself that communists are coming to take your guns or communists are coming over to take away your ability to worship God. Um, we have to look at how rational these fears are. Um, the fact that you, you do feel that fear does not make it completely unsubstantiated does not mean that there isn't any credible threat to what you're saying, but it is something we have to think about because we're not living in a normal time when it's relatively easy to measure these things and how realistic they are. We are living in very unrealistic times. And the amount of fear that is just floating around in the atmosphere is so high that um, we really have to be careful that we don't um, misconstrue kind of what's happening um, and confuse ourselves. Um, you know, I think this is just a long-winded way of saying make sure that what you are afraid of is real. Fear can be useful when it helps us to prepare for something that's coming. Fear is not useful uh, when it it is misdirected uh, or grossly out of proportion to the real threat. So use your brains and good luck out there. That's all I've got for now. I'm uh, continuing to navigate my way through the uh, apocalypse here, uh, just to record a bit for posterity, I suppose. Uh, I have gone to the point now where I really have uh, almost no social connections uh, in person. Um, I have had a little bit of success in meeting new people. Um, but my uh, social life that uh, existed before um, the beginning of 2020 is um, almost 100% gone. Um, I did briefly get back in touch with a few friends um, to play some games online, and those relationships kind of fell apart um, 
as uh, as everything does in 2020, um, and um, and mostly mostly just because of the stressful events that I was going through in the summer living uh, living downtown. Um, yeah, and, and uh, I haven't really um, I haven't really felt that much that I need to get back to a, a big group of friends. Um, I'm I'm kind of content right now to have small, intimate relationships. That, that's a little bit more in line with what I like anyway. Um, so it's not a pressing thing for me to. Um, to figure out immediately. Um, like I said, I have a few close friends and new people that I've met that I have um, kind of used to get through um, all of this madness. And um, yeah, I, I do still have some confidence that things will shape up for the best without too much delay. Uh, I think probably what will happen is that um, the media is setting it up so that Biden will be able to, quote-unquote, cure COVID, um, basically by uh, mandating mask wearing, and there will be a bunch of protests and more fighting and arguing about it, and uh, the media will report that, by and large, everyone is complying and uh, then they'll have the, the vaccines rolling out. Um, it looks right, right now like nobody wants to take it, which is great. Um, that, uh, that just makes me a little bit happy. A little, my heart is a little bit of flutter that uh, so many people uh, are just like, no, I'm not doing that. Uh, I love you, America. I just love you. I love you to pieces. Um, so yeah, I think COVID's going to be endemic. I think that um, I think that the media is going to set up Biden to make it look like he cured COVID, even though he will have done absolutely nothing. Uh, and I think that after that, he'll probably resign, and um, and then Big Bad Kamala will, will take over. Um, whether or not she'll last for too long, I don't know. Um, I don't. I don't think that it's going to be this um, Democrat takeover that everyone um, is making it out to be, um, because in the end, even even if you even if you do manage to take over, quote unquote, um, both the Congress and the executive branch, um, there's still a conservative court that's been installed, and that's not going anywhere. For a while. Um, it's very unlikely that despite all of these claims that the Democrats are going to pack the court, it's very unlikely that they would actually be able to do that. That's just such a such a legally precarious and difficult thing to pass off. Um, but more importantly, I think people have to buy into it. The public has to buy into it. The public has a lot more power than it realizes. Um, with mask mandates and things like that, and um, and like having the National Guard come in and martial law, um, you know, the United States has the resources that 
that we could declare martial law and go go from house to house, forcing everyone to get vaccinated. They're not going to do that because the amount of disorder that would cause and the amount of, of property destruction and just it would just be such a mess. They're not going to do it that way. Uh, it, it doesn't make any sense. You know, our our glorious leaders, um, however however stupid they may appear to be, they're not that stupid. Um, they they know they're very skilled at uh, manipulating us. They're not uh, they're not that stupid. Um, and uh, and you know even if Kamala and uh, and Congress uh, tried to uh, push through um, some kind of vaccine mandate on the population, uh, you really can't force people to do it, um, especially if you had something like 40% of people saying they don't want the vaccine. Uh, you really can't force 40% of America to do something. I mean, that's a lot of people. Um, you can say, oh, but they've done it before, and you know, they can't do that. Uh, it's not so much that people wouldn't stand for it. It's just that the, the, the masses have a lot more power than they think they do. And if you, if you wanted to try to get every American to comply with some rule, you can't just send out somebody with jackboots to go uh, force everyone to do it. It, it wouldn't actually work. Uh, furthermore, you'd have to get enough soldiers. You'd need like to pull in the army reserves to send them out and uh, and and start bullying and and um, haranguing everyone um, to comply. And I just I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's more likely that. Um, they will change the goalpost again. They will say, "Oh well, the vaccine. We only need uh, 60%." Uh, yeah, we, you know, we did some studies somewhere. These studies that uh, no one ever sees. Uh, you know, researchers indicate that we only need 60%. So, hey, we got enough vaccines. Oh my goodness, uh, Joe Biden saved the country just in the nick of time. And of course, this will be right in the summer when coronavirus cases are going down because always less illness in the summer. It doesn't matter what virus you're talking about. And uh, lo and behold, um, we will quote-unquote cure COVID. Um, that's what I'm predicting anyways. But we'll see. So that's it.